welcome to another episode of Slogging It, the cricketers podcast by cricketers for cricketers. Um, no Eugene again tonight. Eugene's in the boozer. Uh, I've had a bit of a shocker. Uh, obviously, Scott Boswell uh, was due to come on to record the second half of his podcast, uh, but the email that I sent to him uh, this afternoon didn't send. Uh, so Simon and I were expecting Bozzy to join us at 8pm. There we were expectantly and no show. Uh, I then realised that it was still stuck in my outbox. So, we, I mean... So is a great way of putting it, actually. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Product placement. We've managed to conjure up, some would say, a, a, a better option. Um, a, a great friend to both Robbo and I. Fierce, fierce on the pitch, uh, yet fiercely loyal off it. Um, Sam... Grisovich. Um Sam, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining, mate. Especially at short notice. Yeah, I, I do have a life, but yeah, I mean, I literally jumped out of the chair. We just watched the most recent succession, and I was like, we, we're just about to start watching this ropey thing. And I was like, wow, yeah, podcast, get me on. But, yeah, <laughs> it's an absolute privilege to, you know, for this to have been running for a year and a half and me for me to have got a call with a minute's notice. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> Means the world. <laughs> Uh, you have. We've always, we've always had. We're just waiting for the right time. Um, just waiting for the right time. Uh, so we're I think it's because there's not enough to talk about in cricket at the minute. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, let's say we'll, we'll kind of maybe come on to a bit of that. Maybe the yeah. Tim Payne thing we'll discuss later. Uh, we just want to kind of box it off and stay within set boundaries that we talked about off air. Um, we're going to talk to Sam about kind of club captaincy, a very successful career doing that amongst a lot of other things. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, Robbo, over to you to, to kick us off tonight. It's the same question we always start with, Sam. I mean, I know, obviously, a lot about it. I've been mates with you for a very, very long time. But um, how did you get into cricket? Um, I know, obviously, your dad is a massive, massive in cricket. But what sort of dragged you in? Um, was there any other relation other than, obviously, your dad? And, and what sort of got you involved in it? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. Like, a lot of us, dad was a big club cricketer. I, I grew up, I mean, from... As, as young as I can remember, really, being down at Welbeck Cricket Club, which was a proper, tough, old North Nottinghamshire, you know, cricket club and and loved it. My granddad was a big part of of my cricketing upbringing as well because my dad would be away at work and he'd be ferrying me all over the shop. And, um, yeah, I guess it started on the black mat at Welbeck where you'd, you'd, I'd make opposition team bowl at me down the side of the pavilion for hours upon end while they were out there. And, yeah, w- watching people like my dad and Keir Taylor and, Dave French is, to be honest, some of my happiest cricketing memories, really. So, yeah. People will be thinking, Sam, Agrizovic. I've heard that name. Do you want to? Yeah, probably from the famous documentary made back in 2016, Papa's Journey. There are a couple of us on it. But there was also a, an old goalkeeper, uh, apparently. I mean, he's, you know, he's getting on a bit now. But, yeah, my, my uncle was, uh, yeah, quite the footballer. And, yeah, we're all incredibly proud of him. And a hell of a cricketer, by all accounts. Oh, yeah. Oh, and so, yeah, I will tell you this story. So, outside uh, the bathroom, his, I mean, he's got medals. He's got Champions League medals from Liverpool, you know, FA Cup winners medals. His proudest, I think, uh, piece of memorabilia is a photo of him, arms aloft, Sir Vivian Richards, looking back and off stump cartwheeling. So, he no hopped way. up, Sir Viv, but it was a no ball. But the photo <laughs> didn't say it was a no ball. But he used to bowl quick. You talk to people that used to play against him. He used to bowl quick. And I knew yeah. when I played minor counties for Hereford, I used to know a lot of lads that played for uh, Cov with him. Well, a bit after him, but knew of him and knew all the stuff about him. And they always said, yeah, he, he bowled it quick and ran it hard and liked to chat, apparently. Yeah, well, two, two first-class or list-day wickets, I think, were Martin Moxon. Uh, perhaps best not get onto him uh, tonight. But, <laughs> and Alvin Kalacharan. Um, so, oh, decent yeah, and Viv off a noble. And yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got the photo. So, <laughs> how, how big is how big is Uncle Steve? I imagine as a a quick bowler, seeing him charge in from the, I guess what would be the thirty yard circle to us these days, he'd be quite an imposing figure from twenty two yards away. Yeah, I, I think in his pomp he was six five. Uh, and there's another decent story about my cousin Chris and. Um, Took him down for some throwdowns, was bowling at him. And Chris is a bit like me, quite loquacious, shall we say. And um, Uncle Steve dropped one a bit short. And Chris has got after him and given him a bit of chip. Um, the next one was slightly quicker and filled him in. <laughs> and, uh, 
So he bounced his own son and had to go down to a &E. They were before the days of helmets. Um, so, yeah, he had to, you know. Before the days of helmets. I know, I've obviously been around with Chris, and Chris is a bit, I think he's younger than me, and I've worn a helmet since I was 10. So, yeah. so how old you was would Chris? do with a head like that, Robbo, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's, that is a very valid point. <laughs> I've just got this image now of Steve bouncing like a seven-year-old Chris. <laughs> he was rapid. He used to bowl at us in the nets. Like, he was at the end of his footballing career. But he used to bowl at me when what we were probably 12 or 13, and we'd go and net on that concrete with you know the turf on. And he'd bowl yeah. like these leg cutters at about it's probably only like 60 or 65 miles an hour, but it was like oh, it was awful bouncing <laughs> past your throat, just couldn't get anything on it. But no, he was a proper cricketer, loves his cricket, um, absolutely mad on it. I, I think he's still involved, albeit socially, with Coven North Warwick's cricket club. And you know, I think it was probably one of the last generation of cricketers who could uh, sorry, of footballers who could play cricket. Um, you know, in the off season, I know Joe Hart played a little bit, but Uncle used to get plenty in. There's some, there's some good um, footballers who love cricket. Apparently, James Milner's a very fine cricketer. Uh, Joe Hart, Gareth Barry, I think, likes his cricket as well. So Andy uh, Gorham, yeah, you wouldn't have gone Andy Gorham, apparently. Oh yeah, the old Rangers keeper. Pretty sure he might play for Scotland at cricket. I might have made that up. Possibly. Tell you what, it's fine stat if you haven't. Don't let the don't let the truth get in the way of a good... <laughs> yeah, we don't on the podcast. Compton's no, no. um, not bad either, was he? Dennis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. We more of a cricketer than footballer, but not bad. Botham wasn't the worst either. Yeah. No, played for Scunthorpe, didn't he? Was it Scunthorpe, Botham? Last yeah. person to captain England while playing in Division 4. Wow. Right. Um, so, back, I guess back to it. The um, talk is through... I mean, obviously, an involvement at Knott's... Talk us through your kind of experience of going through the system there. Obviously, you played a lot of twos cricket. Um, widely referred to as, you know, people, a lot of people talk about your hands as a keeper batsman, saying you're the best keeper that anybody's ever seen, really, that hasn't gone on to have a prolonged um, first-class career. Like, how did all that go and how did it end? And was that something, that, were you bitter about it? Were you okay with it? Yeah, I mean, it started probably badly. Petered off in the middle and ended pretty poorly as well. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. But now, I mean, like I came through the, the age groups a couple of years below Cy um, and with, with Cy's brother, Graham. And I, I was always physically very, very small. So, you know, didn't really go through a growth spurt till 18, 19. So I was always in and, in and around it without necessarily excelling. I think I went to Midlands at under 11s. But other than that, um, was, was out of it mostly. Got back in properly. 17s and we won the national that year the national uh, two-day comp and and i opened the batting in that team and then i had a very good year probably as an 18 year old playing in the 19s or the 21s I can't remember which it was there I, a, I think average and and I, I think really i you know i put down to where i got to in my cricket by the fact that i was held back physically so you know what it's like you know we've all seen like the andrew wibbleys of this world who will be bullying people since he's 12 because he's bigger than the pe teacher you know I, I was complete opposite to that so i had to develop i think kind of a bit of a mental toughness and the technique. And I mean, I got into league cricket very early. I started playing, I think I played my first Premier League game at 14 and played regularly as a 15-year-old. And I, I think I put a lot down to that. So I really, I, yeah, I came through the knot, but I didn't really, I, I don't think I made my twos debut until I was about 19 or 20. So it was very late on. Um, and yeah, you know, I had a couple of good years there. Um, you know, I think if I could have replicated my form, my club form for, for knots with both bat and gloves, then I'd have had a chance. Um you know, I think one day is, you know, I kept very well because I always used to like getting up to the stumps, the quicks, and I could do that. But, you know, I, you know, if I, I always say, I say this to Simon, if you're good enough, you make it. You know, I'm a big believer in that. There's a lot of people that have had a trial, but, you know, if you get enough games, you trial them for two teams. If you're good enough, you get a go. And I wasn't. So I think um, it's interesting to, to nip back to my uncle. I nearly gave up cricket probably about 20. I'd, I'd been ditched from... Um, the academy at Loughborough. I didn't get picked for the for the winter academy. I've been played a bit in the summer, and I was just like, "Well, I've had I've had enough of this. It's no after no after no." And it was my uncle that said to me, "You know," he said, "Sam, give it a go because in ten years' time you'll be the sort of bloke that wants to turn around and say, gave it a go, played in some good games, played with some great people, but I wasn't good enough.' You don't want to be the bitter guy there that said, "Oh, I had a trial, but I had an injury." And he was he was bang on to be honest. And yeah, I think I can look back and know that. I've probably got further than I maybe should have done. So uh, yeah, no dramas there. It was it was always interesting. I mean, like Sam says we talked about. Like, I was I'm two years older than Sam, and when Sam talks about him playing in the twos, I'd been away from lots. I played a couple of twos games at eighteen, nineteen, went away and came back as a, I was 21, 22, and Sam was nineteen, twenty. 
we actually played in quite a lot of games together. Um, and it was interesting around Notts at that time. Like Sam was obviously doing really well. I was doing okay. And that, I mean, Sam was behind who some people might say, and certainly in Notts' terms, in, in county wicket-keeping terms, is the best wicket-keeper at the last 25 years in Chris Reed. Like, that's unfortunate. And so, uh, I think Sam, for me, obviously I played and trialled at a lot of different counties. Um, Sam, I've, and I was the one that said it's you, John. Sam is the best wicket-keeper stood up to the storms I've ever played with. Um, and in the top two, three that I've ever seen. Um, but it, it's like, like Sam says, it, it's, we, I think we both felt guilty at the time of, of cricket because it was becoming a multi-dimensional game. You had to excel at more than one yeah. facet of the game. You couldn't just be all right at something and then, then go to England. We're going away from the Jack Russell style out and out keeper to the Alex Stewart type of thing. And I think if you look at, we can all say, oh, in our time, if, if I was playing now, but I, I think if in T20 cricket, certainly you look at some of the guys that are keeping wicket more recently and, and stuff like that, Sam would be someone that if you were to go, right, okay, we need this guy to come in and keep wicket, he will save us X amount of runs. And playing against him was horrible because... It wasn't for you because I liked you. Well, no, 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 no. But in terms of... In t- well, yeah. But um, in terms of if you were trying to bat and you've got a guy on with a bit... like If you thought, right, this guy's got half a yard, I can try and get out out or turn on, on club wickets when it was a bit slow and you think, I can sneak out. Sam would just be stood up. And like to guys bowling at 75, 80 miles an hour, some, he's just constantly up to the stump. And God knows how many wickets he got stumped down the leg side off like Billy Wright sliding it down the leg side or Tom Emmons or people like that. And it just, Sam added so much to the sides that you were playing against. And I'm not, I mean, I'm his mate. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you. Not blowing smoke or something, but... <laughs> Is it, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on something that Sai said there. And I think it's interesting when I look back on it now. Mentality is so important in sport. And, you know, I've played with some of the best cricketers I've played with are some of the thickest people, I've got to be honest. And they are sea ball, hit ball, and they don't overcomplicate it. And I look back now and I was just happy to be there. Like, I can remember going in, I think I was still playing international cricket captain when I made my twos debut. And, you know, like, Frankie's there. And I think Eunice Carner played in the game because he was <laughs> over. And I was just like, ah, I want to take my autograph up with me. Do you know what I mean? But I never and – I, and I kick myself a bit now. So I look back and I think, well, everybody's playing second-team cricket for a reason. They're no better than you. And I think if I'd have gone back and believed in myself, certainly with the bat, believed in myself a little bit more and believed like I, I was meant to be there. Like, you know, I, I barely went to net with the senior team at Notts because I didn't feel like I was kind of – Welcome, not because they didn't make me feel welcome, just because I felt like a bit of a fraud, to be honest. And I didn't want to, you know, show myself up. Whereas, you know, and, and there might have been a perception, that, oh, well, you know, Augie's not down here netting or training like a lot of the guys. You know, Josh Meerkant, you, you couldn't get him out of the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, Josh went on and got a contract and did really well. And I think in hindsight, maybe I should have made myself, you know, just got myself down there and gone, no, I'm, you know, they're picking me for a reason. Be annoying, get around the changing room a bit more. But, I, I, you know... I, I didn't feel like I was I belonged really, and and I think that's perhaps fair. Um, or maybe that's the fact that you know I didn't come through the academy. I just did the age group stuff, and I was always kind of a bit of an also run. That maybe you, you carry that with you. But I think mentality is everything, and you know I certainly didn't enjoy that. And to be honest, didn't want to be a cricketer. You know, I I used to love it when I heard rain in the morning. You know, we were in, in a hotel playing somewhere, and the first thing I listened for is you know, the cars on the road and rain because, yeah, I don't know, fear of failure, whatever, anxiety, whatever, you know. But, um, you know, it was it, it was great now to look back on and go, well, I did that, but I wasn't crack hot at it, so we cracked on and did something else. With the, um, I just want to pick up on something Simon said about that whole kind of keeper versus keeper batsman issue that we, you know, you see a lot of people facing now in the Joss Butler versus kind of Ben Folks thing. Mm. Like, Obviously, in the in the time that the three of us, because you're a couple of years younger than Simon and I, but we've all been playing cricket for a similar amount of time. And I think cricket shifted quite a lot over that 20 years that we've been playing adult cricket, maybe a bit longer. Do you think that, that it, it's gone almost too far away? For, is it more about being a, a, a batsman who can keep too much oh, more I mean, so than, a, you know, a genuine... I mean, the, folk, the folks one's a joke. I mean... I, I and I've, look, don't pull me up on my stats because I, I I don't watch much cricket anymore. But a couple of years ago, Ben Stokes I think had a test average of something like forty two. Ben, ben, ben Stokes. 
What's it? Yeah, I said Ben Stokes. No, he said Ben Stokes, but we knew what he meant. Ben Stokes. No, he's, yeah, he's not bad either, but he could win the team, to be fair. Um, but no, Ben Stokes, I think, had, an, had a test average from like 42. And you've got batters in the team hanging on with a test average of 31, which I've got to be honest, I would take, you know, given, given the options. Right? <laughs> um, he streets in ahead, the best wicketkeeper in the country. And, you know, for me in test cricket, I, look, I get it. You know, people like Gilchrist, you know, completely changed it. And, you know, T20 cricket now, let's be honest, in T20 cricket, you don't catch a lot of balls. Like, mm. everything's getting lauded out the park. But in test cricket, you know, a, a drop catch, and I've seen plenty, I've seen plenty of clubby wicketkeeping on the international level, yeah. and that can cost you hundreds of runs. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so I'd love to see a stat if they were to go back and say, take the percentages that someone like a Russell, you know, would have taken compared to, I don't know, I'm not going to name a name, but somebody who probably wasn't quite as good a wicketkeeper. And I'd love to see what the average is of the difference because I can guarantee it will be more than 28 to 31 or whatever the, the difference is in averages. But yeah, you know, as a wicketkeeper, you're going to take that, you're going to take that line, aren't you? But I do think, you know, Simon said there, I, I think you can help your bowler a lot as a wicketkeeper. And, yeah. you know, young spinners, you know, we've struggled, we've struggled really, haven't we, since Swanee to get a young spinner through. Well, maybe if catches were held and stumpings were taken, you know, <laughs> They get a bit more confidence and they, they do a job, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be slightly biased on that respect. Do you think the um, the other thing that Simon said about obviously you, Chris Reed being around at the time, and obviously there've been a lot of young wicket keepers that fell foul of James Foster, and he played for years and years and years at Essex, and just was never going to be displaced. Really, never got a go at international level, particularly. Um, do you think that was just a, a, an inconvenience, an inconvenient time for you to be coming through? Or? No. No, no. But, you know, like I said before, if you're good enough, you make it. And I was delighted to be playing second team cricket. I, you know, I, I played in like one first team friendly. Me and uh, Alex Hales came in for Steve Fleming and Chris Reed, uh, which isn't bad. I mean, they're, they're pretty cool <laughs> mates against like a Victorian touring team. And I've, I've got to be honest, it probably meant nothing to the people playing in that game, but it meant the world to me. It was at Trent Bridge and and had a decent game and stuff. But I was just happy to be there. I had no belief that was on the same level as Reedy, like, you know, yeah. in any way, shape or form. You know, I, I backed myself against anyone stood up to the stumps, you know, in, in, in any form of cricket. But my batting was a million miles off. Reedy was the best in the country and was for 20 odd years. Um, you know, I was just hoping, I guess, to, to probably grab the title of worst ever professional cricketer, but it wasn't to be. So there we are. <laughs> um, I guess I played, to... I played with some that are dance. I worse than you, mate. Trust me. <laughs> um, moving on to kind of your your club career, I guess. Um, now, I guess this is more up for Simon because in terms of timeline and stuff, I, I'm not entirely sure. But where did your captaincy career start? Was that at Kaythorpe? No, no. I mean, I had a great five or six years at Kaythorpe and was part of probably the best team I've, I've been part of. And we had we had some great successes both on and off the field. It was a good laugh. Um, and yeah, made some lifelong friends there. Now, I, I went to Kimberley um, and had probably, what, five years at Kimberley and then and then obviously Papawick more recently. Um, and I've got to say, like, and, and Simon will back this up. I mean, I've always been known as the gobby wicketkeeper and, you know, probably worse words than that. Um, but it took a lot of bottle, I think, for Blathers. Michael Blatherwick, who was a bit of a club legend at Kimberley, was coming to the end of his captaincy, or oh, no, coming to the end of his captaincy and his, his sort of, tail end of his playing career to go out and go, well, actually, no, we're going to bring this guy in. And I remember seeing the faces of the Kimberley players when, because Kaythorpe and Kimberley had a massive rivalry. I remember seeing the faces when he sort of brought me into this pre-season meeting. It was like they'd just appointed Adolf Hitler or something like that. <laughs> but in fairness, you know, it, it, it worked really well at Kimberley. I think maybe because their expectations were so low, um, you know, things went pretty well. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And um, I think we, re we rebuilt something really special at what is a fantastic cricket club. And they've just taken it from strength to strength since then, really. So, uh, yeah. Did you think, did you take captaincy straight away? Did, was it something that you always wanted to do? Obviously, like yeah. so you talked about yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Did, yeah, did it through the age groups. Did it, did it at Worksop, my last year at Worksop College. Um, so played there for, what, four years um, as, a, as a younger guy. And yeah, or, or, you know, always loved captaincy. And everybody always used to say, oh, I don't think wicketkeepers should be captains. And I was like, oh, what absolute bollocks. Like, we, you know, as a, as a wicketkeeper, you feel, you know, and you quite often say, oh, captain should have taken them off an over earlier. 
Well, you feel it as a wicketkeeper. If you've got a seamer and all of a sudden he's blown out of his arse, you feel it, you know, and you see the angles better than anyone on the field, you know. You see the pace of the pitch and everything. So I think you lose a cheerleader sometimes when your captain's the wicketkeeper. But if you've got half a brain, I think it's it's the best place, it's the best place to be to to I guess pull everyone together, but also tactically to see the angles and and you know make decisions. Do you think captaincy is something that can be learned or do you think it's something that you need to kind of grow up doing in order to be like really successful? It's a difficult one. I mean, I think the tactical side of cricket, I mean, you obviously learn it, you learn everything. Um, I, I reckon I would have set better fields and this isn't me blowing smoke up my own ass, but just in terms of the, the conversation I had with my dad and stuff, at the age of 10, I reckon I could set better fields than I see now when I go down and watch Premier League games with some people. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I think it's, yeah, you learn it and different people learn it at different times. Um, but there's so much that goes into being a captain. I mean, you know, we were talking about it off camera earlier. You know, Robbo's one of the most successful captains in Premier League history, which is absolute sacrilege because he did piss all apart from toss a coin and then and then, and then just manipulate the 11 best cricketers in Nottinghamshire and a vast <laughs> trade budget for about four hours on a Saturday. And it was four hours because the games are that short. Yeah. And, and, you know, so captaincy, you've got the on-field stuff. But then, as you know, uh, Jono, you know, the off-field bit in club cricket is more important than, yeah. than on-field, in my opinion. I will defend myself a little bit there. <laughs> I, will, I, I think I don't disagree with you. And if you've got a captain that wants to take it on, but I think as long as... And me and Jono have had this discussion quite a few times. I think you need certain people in certain places at your club. And if your captain can do more than one of those roles, then that's great. Yeah, absolutely. What, when, when I was at Clifton... I wasn't prepared to do those roles. I wasn't going to be out recruiting people in October. I wasn't, I, I didn't, for two reasons, at the time of my life I was at, I didn't really like cricket and because of everything that had gone off. And the last thing in October I wanted to be thinking about was who was going to be opening the batting for me in April. Like, mm. My mindset was, where am I going for a beer tomorrow night? And but, largely because you didn't pick the batting order, did you? you it was like uh, under 11. I, order. I knocked myself down the batting order a few times. I made sure I went from like seven to nine quite a few times um, <laughs> just to make sure anyone half decent with a new ball had gone by the time I went in. <laughs> um, but then, then like I said, and, and like what I had was very, I was very lucky to have like uh, Andy Walters, Wally, who who did all that kind of stuff for mm. me. I, people say I didn't pick a team. I did pick the team. I told him the team I wanted, and then if it wasn't available, like they, I didn't go to selection meeting, but I was a first team captain. I picked, I got the side I wanted. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't give a shit who played in the second team, as long as the person was coming up, if we needed one of them, was prepared um, and could do a job. And I was always the sort of person that would give that guy who came up in the second team a go. But but like it said, like, like, like you two are two guys that captain in the way that you that you do and you get all engrossed and you and you run the club. I personally think that there's if you've got someone else that's doing that, your captain can be not that person, for example. But anyway. It's funny, I guess, because Sam and I had a conversation earlier and I guess we're going through a similar thing at the minute. We're trying to set up at the club where the three of us are a part of this kind of cricket committee and Sam and I were talking about the different roles that are going to be needed for people, different people to fulfil within that and, and of which there are numerous roles in any kind of club set up. Um, and, and Sam and I had a very honest conversation about, you know, what what are we prepared to do? What are we not prepared to do? What are we going to expect other people to pick up? Um, and, it, you know, that, that I think is something that Sam and I both absolutely go full throttle into anything that we would ever probably take on, regardless of whether it's cricket work or anything else. But I think, you know, you, you so, there's so much within club cricket captaincy that it can come all-consuming and it, it can actually take over a little bit. And I don't know whether, Sam, I don't know whether you've ever felt this or even you, Simon, that, well, definitely not you, Simon, because you didn't do it, like 90% of it. But, Sam, do you think it ever detracted from your game? Because I've often said that on-field, on-field captaincy is 10% of what a captaincy has to do when you do yeah. it the way that you and I have. I, I tell you why it, it detrimented from my game and not so much recently because I'm old and, and recently retired, but certainly when, when, when I took the captaincy at Kimberley, I was still a decent player. And, and, but the, one of the things that I was a massive believer in was, well, if, and at that point I was probably one of the better batters at Kimberley. If I was batting at seven or eight one week, 
my argument was nobody else could argue. Uh, no one could argue if I asked them to bat seven or eight. So I, would, I typically, and it, and it, um, you know, my dad used to bother me about it all the time, but dads do, you know, would put myself out and you move yourself around. And actually I went from being a decent opening bat to just being a bit lost with my batting. And it took me a while to, to kind of get anything, any form of semblance back. So I think in terms of your personal game, yeah. But from my perspective, and I said this to, I won't name him, but I said it to a, a captain in the Premier League who I'm pretty close with. I said, and he was faffing himself around in the batting order. And I said to him, look, fact is, you're not playing in a great team. You can average 50 in this side if you pick a spot and bat there. Mm. Right? At the moment, you're averaging 25. You know, I can do that with me because the best I'm probably going to average is 25. And if I don't, I'll average 20 or 18 or certainly a lot less this year. Right. So that five runs isn't a massive difference to the team. 25 is. It's a massive yeah. amount of difference. But um, but yeah, I think that you, you, you know, you do, you make mistakes as well. You know, you might maybe not be big enough to admit them at the time, but you make mistakes and, you know, you, you do your best. And But the one thing that I was always keen on, and maybe this is because I know, you know, how a lot of opposition, a lot of people see me. I didn't want anyone to throw it back. I always, you know, he's only doing it for him or, you know, I always wanted, it gave me more pleasure to see guys like John Terry or Richard Adams, you know, who previously hadn't done loads, all of a sudden getting a role and going on and, and nailing it. And that, you know, I think as a captain, if you've got three or four players playing above their station, that's that's the aim, isn't it? You know. What would you say your style is in terms of, you know, how do you cajole your guys? Like, you know, what mm-hmm. what what was your kind of blueprint <laughs> in terms of, I guess, dealing with the people that, you know, because there's one out of eleven. It's not again. It's not quite as fluid as football. There's a lot of time to think. There's a lot more kind of tactics go into it and stuff. How did you go about getting the best out of your? I don't. I don't know. And you don't get the best out of everybody. And, and you know, if any of my ex-players will be listening to this, I'm sure they'll have their own opinions. I think um, I always cared about my players. So off the field, I was very, very different in the week. Mm. You know, I spent a lot of time talking to my players and trying to massage egos or build confidence or manage expectations or whatever it would be with the ultimate aim in mind of having sustainable success at whatever club I was at. Sustainable success matters because, you know, if you're a captain of a cricket club for five years, that's such a small period of time in the length of that cricket club's lifetime. So what gives you the right to go in and fuck it up the wall and pay loads of players and not bring juniors through and do all of that, right? So that was always my aim. I'm not saying we always achieved it, but that was always my aim. So I think there's that captain that wants to be organised, wants to try and communicate well with his players, wants to build their confidence and make sure their training's good and all the rest of it. And then on a Saturday, look, I think my competitiveness just got the better of me. I became so, I think, obsessed with winning and that won't suit everybody. You know, I, I, you know, I would always, and I think I matured with this a little bit later in my career. You can't always give it the Sergeant Major speech because it falls on deaf ears. And I think that's probably part of the reason why I gave it when I did was I found myself just going back to just that grumpy old git who wasn't happy with this, wasn't happy with that. But, you know, I think every club I was at, they, they improved their standards and there were certain non-negotiables that I wouldn't stand for, you know, particularly in the field. Like fielding is attitude in the main, mm. right? And um, I would take it very personally if I felt my team had a bad attitude because I think attitude reflects leadership. So, yeah, I think quite aggressive, um, you know, quite, I'd like to think of myself quite organised, um, but yeah, I did care. I, I, you know, I care massively. And, and I had a comment from, and I will name this guy because I, I think the world of him is a guy called uh, James Fenwick, formerly James Mann. And we, we beat Kimberley, I think, last year or whenever it was um, to get through to the, the semifinals or whatever it was. It was COVID year, so it would have been last season. Yeah. And it was, it was a really special day with a young side. And he <clears> came up to me afterwards. He said, oh, yeah, re- watching that made me realise how much I miss playing under you. And that, for me, that one comment, like that makes it, you know, it meant the world. I mean, you know, I told him at the time, you know, amazing. So, sorry, I'm waffling. But no, 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 absolutely not, mate. No. Do you do you think that you the side that you played in at Kaythorpe, mm. um, a lot of their, I, I played against them a lot. We had a lot of very good games. Um, do do you think your the way that you your role within that side led you to be the sort of that type of captain on the pitch that like and to the attitude of the the fielding type of thing? Because you were very much a focal point of their... Yeah, but you are as a wicketkeeper. No, I, I, no, I think I, I learned a lot. I mean, that, Kay thought's a perfect example of, of the point that you were making there. Because Hindo's, you know, one of the best captains I've played under. But 
was a little bit like Simon in that he was very much a Saturday captain. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's another guy there who, who did a lot of work, um, you know, off the field. Um, but no, I think, I think Caithorpe shaped me into being the combative, it's probably a better word beginning with C, um, you know, <laughs> sort of wicket keeper that I was. Um, and, and I think at times I became a bit of a caricature of that looking back. But no, I think I, I always approached my cricket in that way and I would always have approached my captaincy in that way because, you know, I just want to win. And this is in, in large part as well. So I've done 10 years and I did them all with Michael Blatherwick, um, who, you know, fantastic cricketer, massive personality in local cricket. And, and what he doesn't know about building cricket clubs isn't worth knowing. And I think we, because we did everything together, took a long-term view and we took a full club view. And that was, you know, for instance, you know, Michael was big on getting the academy at Kimberley started and, and running that and getting, you know, good young players coming through that and not a uni setup, an academy. So specific sessions for the best kids in, you know, across various ages. And, you know, even when we joined Papawick, you know, the first thing that we looked at were who have we got at 13, 14 that will be first team cricketers in the next four or five years? Because it was important that you take a long-term view because if you don't, you end up being the club that sat there and all of a sudden loses a load of players, gets relegated and disappears. And there have been so many clubs have done that. Um, well, it goes back to your sustainability thing that you were talking about yeah, earlier, doesn't yeah. it? It goes, make sure you're not just a captain for the short term, but you're one that leaves the club in a better position than when you joined it. And playing within the rules as well. You know, like, I'm a big believer that, um, that cash ruins cricket clubs. Mm. Um, you know, I absolutely have a pro have a pro and an overseas but when you've got lads averaging 22 picking up 80 quid a game is that right i mean come on we've all had plenty out of the game of cricket surely there's a point where you put a bit back and um you know we, we've lost players through doing that over the years who've gone and chased the cash we've not lost many but we have lost them and different people's circumstances i guess are different but that was always a big thing for me and you know playing within the rules of the league which is you know or has been two paid players if you like so mm. Do you think that's it encouraged people? People have become a lot more mercenary, haven't they, because of that? If they feel like there's a few quid on offer, you know, people I've known people move for free annual subs and free match fees, like you know, because they feel like they they can then call themselves semi pro or or you know, a paid player. It's just nonsense, quite yeah. It's, it's an ego thing. I mean, I played a bit of semi pro football and I I did get paid for that. That was a, that was an open league, so you know, you you all you all got a little bit, but you could have got more. Do you know what I mean? You had some players that were moving for three quid or like, oh, we could be four quid goal bonus. Oh, come on. Like, come on. Like, let's be real. You're not scoring think, 70 a year. Yeah, exactly. But I think you, look, you'll get mercenary players and those, those are mercenary players that will finish their careers and they'll look back on it and they'll go, well, what have I got to show for that? Oh, I've got a Renault Clio. Brilliant. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> They've not got any of those moments or any of those, you know, you know, playing in great, you know, Jono, you've won the national knockout. We had a, a number of runs in that, and, you know, won the Prem. Robbo, you've done the same. You know, and th those feelings, those team vibes. And, you know, I still see teammates from when I was 18. You know, they're, they're like blood brothers. You know, it's, you know, I, I think you, you get out what you put in. And if all you, all you do is turn up for the cash, you know, it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit vapid, isn't it? Is that the it's, word? It's, it's funny you mention that I randomly, um, the, I, the best batsman I've ever played with is a guy called Graham Grace, who opened the batting for us at Wimbledon. And he, he phoned me the other day for it. He wanted some couple of, he's going back to South Africa for Christmas, wanted a couple of bats for his nephews to take back with him. And we just had half an hour on the phone reminiscing about those two, you know, the two national title wins and stuff. And, you know, the great times we had playing together at Wimbledon. And it was, and it was so nice. You know, when yeah. I was in London, I catch up, managed to catch up with these lads that, and you can talk about, that shared experience and the like just the euphoria that you went through together and how tight knit you were as a group. And I think that, that and you get better every year. Every, like, you know, I, every time I get together with the K Thorpe lads, like we're each year that goes by, we get better and the wins are <laughs> bigger. And, you know, I, I probably got 18 in one game. It's now 60. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Billy Wright's bowling at 87 miles an hour all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And you all stood up. Yeah. yeah. You know, you kind of touched on it briefly, I guess. Like the, um, the the fact that on the pitch you were combative, let's say, and you know, Simon said to me, you know, before we actually met, that he, he, you've never uh, lost a, a, a chirp off or whatever you want to call it on the cricket field because you you're a very bright bloke and you could just just outdo people, you know, 
in terms. Oh, I lost it in terms. Of I would probably chip one up to mid off or go across a straight. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Okay. But you didn't lose the verbal. Yeah. But anybody that I, because obviously I, I now know quite a few of the lads playing in the league and they've played against you for a long time. Everybody has always got has got massive respect for you, but also say that off the pitch, you'd always have a beer. You'd always, uh, you know, it's it's that kind of almost like white line thing, isn't it? There is absolutely a space for playing any sport at a decent level, hard. Mm. But the most important thing is don't let that overspill into the bar afterwards and, you know, people getting at each other and stuff. I mean, we're lucky. We play at a very friendly club and stuff. We play the game hard, but I always make the, the lads that play with me now, we stay for a beer. On You know, we absolutely do that every away game because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think you're wrong. I think the majority of people that, will, if they've got an opinion on me, who play against me, who've not played me, will be negative. So thank you for trying to be diplomatic, but I think you're being <laughs> a little kind there. But I think, no, I mean, no, no, that's not me fishing for compliments. I think that's the truth. And I've got to be honest, I couldn't give two shits, Jono. You know, I'm there to, I'm not, I'm not there to make mates. I'm there yeah. to win and to compete. Because it's a competition I love. I've never looked yeah, critical, yeah. really. It's a competition and trying to win with my mates and that feeling of sat with your mates having a beer after or Jade and Coke or whatever is, you know, absolutely un, unbeaten. Um, yeah, I, I don't know really. I think there's, I mean, I played, I went to Aussie as, a, as an 18 year old, I went to Australia as 18 and what, 21 year old. So I played a bit of cricket over there and it's pretty firm over there. And then you would have a beer afterwards. I think the era that we grew up in, it was far more common for, for blokes to hang around and have a beer. And, but I think when you play your cricket like I do, and there are plenty, I'm not the only one, but, you know, I'm probably, you know, play it as, as extreme as possible. You know, I have my own code of ethics. I have my own things that I stick within. A lot of what people say I said, I don't. I'm, I'm a lot about pressure. I'm a lot about trying to, you know, trying to influence the game in whatever way I can. That doesn't, you know, I'm not going to call somebody's wife anything. That's not my style. But yeah, yeah. Will, I, will I talk to my mate about the fact that this guy's batting in front of two guys that we think are better? And, you know, will I talk about the run rate? Will I constantly be people's ear? Yeah. But what I've noticed and what I've learned over the years is that um, you dig your own grave. People aren't bright enough to, to um, kind of differentiate and understand how you're playing the game. And so, of course, I'm the one that every week gets big nose this, your uncle's that, you know, blah, 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 personal, you name it. So, you know, you, you play the game in a certain way and, you know, there are going to be some people that say stuff about you. If they don't want to get to know you for a beer afterwards, that's on them. You know, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you if you put it on them when they're playing and they don't want to do that, you know, no dramas at all. But that's that's not the way I play it. Happy, happy to buy a beer and, uh, and you know, do that off the field. But, yeah, I want to play it hard on. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Like, you're, you, like you say, you've got, I know, you've got your rules and your the things that you abide by. The one thing I always say, like whenever I've heard what you've said, like you've never got personal. You, well, you, you've never been the one to make it personal. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but do you think that's where some people get confused with sledging and chat and abuse and whatever else it is? Because whenever I've seen you, I've always thought, yeah, he's just trying to get in the bat's head. He's not being personal towards him until the the guy's gone personally at you, and yeah, and then I have seen you tear people a new one about anything goes but do you, do you think that's quite often misconstrued in people's heads yeah I think um how, whatever you want to call it sledging Steve always used to call it mental disintegration didn't he I think for me it was all about what can I do that's going to help my team win and actually recently when would I give someone a serve well if they've nicked it and not walked which is massively hypocritical because I would nick it and not walk <laughs> but I'd expect an earful if someone's had a go at one of the lads, they're getting it, right? If we've, say, batted, if we've batted first. Um, or if the game's drifting. If the game's drifting, pick a fight. Pick a fight with someone. Like, you know, and, and that's my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm going to go up and call them, but I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be combative and get, get in their face. But then equally, there are players where, you know, I can remember playing against Daffy. Like, you don't need to sledge Phil Freitas. I asked him about 35 times where he got his trainers from. He didn't say a word to me. And after about six overs, he turned around and he said, I've got a pair in the fucking car. I'll give you some if you shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, sometimes it's just about, I think, trying to figure out who you're playing against. Some people you just want to chat to. They'll get bored. They'll give a chance. They'll get out. Yeah. You know, some people you think, mm, 
maybe they shouldn't be batting in this at this position or I, I pick this up in the warm-ups about body language or whatever. Maybe if I drop that in, it might, you know, but some, it backfires as well. Sometimes you go at folk, wow, that fires them up. They, you know, <laughs> they go far and away and they, they win the game. So, you know, it's, um, you don't always get it right again, but what I was doing was always um, to either cure boredom, because let's face it, cricket is pretty boring, or <laughs> to win the game, but usually to try and win the game. Um, something I do want to ask you about, and I, I, I may have asked you about this personally, but someone told me about this. Um, you've got a little black book or whatever it happens to be, but something that you've carried around with you for years and years and years, where you have, after each game, made notes about people that you've played against in order to help you best prepare, not only yourself, but the team, for the next time you're likely to come up against them. What was that just something that you just Yeah, cheers. You just right. So you've said I've taken the call at a minute's notice and now you've put me made me look like the biggest badger that's ever played. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the amount of detail. I love that stuff. So that's from from a captaincy standpoint. That's nothing to do with chat. That's just you club players tend to be limited in some capacity. That's why they're club players. Everyone will favour certain areas or a certain type of bowling or will struggle against a certain type of thing. And yeah, so I keep a notebook on things. I, you know, as geeky as it sounds, massive believer in data. So we'll go, you know, every Friday night or maybe not Friday night, but every Saturday morning, um, you know, go through play cricket and, and try and spot patterns. Or you know, I even used to have the score of Rob used to do me a report at Kimberley like with players, wagon wheels and everything. It was awesome. Absolutely yeah, awesome. But it does help you to spot patterns. And again, you don't always get it right. But I do think that, when you've got a bowler like Jim, who can literally bowl wherever he wants, mm. there's going to be a line that's successful against one batter and not successful against another. There are going to be players that play spin well if they face it when they're on 30, but start badly against it. There are going to be batters that have a phobia against certain bowlers, you know. And so you just, you know, try and take in as much as you can and make the best decisions you can. But I didn't do that my first year. You just worry about trying to set a field and, you know, like getting through the game. But I think... Once they become automatic pilot, you can start to do it. And that is, I take it a bit to the nth degree, but I, I do think that a lot of that is important and had an impact, yeah. I find that outstanding because, like I say, that's that's completely the... I just rocked up. It's different ways of doing it, isn't it? Like, it's it's you've, that way, that analytical kind of side of things. And I was just always a gut feel type of... Have you ever had that kind of moment when you've been captain where you've gone, I've got this information, but I've got a feeling this is going to work. Yeah, but I, I don't... Have, I've The way I look at it is if you turn around and you go, oh, I'd got to feel this and it didn't come off, I think that's pretty shit. I, I, I don't feel I could... If I was going to make a decision, I don't feel I could turn around to my players and go, oh, well, my gut told me this. Like, there's got to be some cricketing logic yeah. to it, you know? Like... And yeah, that cricket logic might be just as stupid as they're pissing us around around the park. We've got to try something different. Do you know what I mean? But I don't, yeah, you, yes, you do use your gut. Your gut is part of your, your instinct, isn't it, at times? But um, I, I would like to think the majority of decisions I made were for, for cricketing reasons, I think. Um, we obviously played in your... It's because I had to justify them to my dad. Like, otherwise, my dad would be like, what the f*** are you doing that for? So I'd have to have like, some kind of like logical, you know... <laughs> Just, just so for people that listen, whenever I've played with some quite a few times, and sometimes more recently, I used to rock up. So I, I wasn't getting in the first team, or whenever I used to watch the first team, and it used to be one thing. If I rocked up to the game, what I'd look around the ground for is whether Sam was sat next to his dad, because <laughs> <laughs> you knew that what the conversation was going to be, how it was going to be. It didn't matter. Sam could have got seventy, could have got whatever. You could just see him like that. I mean, it's mental, isn't it? And, and yeah. 36-year-old bloke gets out his last game and I, I, well, I better go and see my dad get the bollocking out of the way so I can have a nice day. Like, <laughs> and I joke, we, we, I joke about it. My dad's the main reason that, you know, I played the game and did so much for me. And, yeah. you know, I look, I look now, like you get back from work, you're absolutely knackered and your three-year-old's running around wanting to play football. Sometimes you're like, I can't be asked. My dad was never like that. He'd get back, he'd been on the road, he'd been away for two nights, he'd be pissing it down outside, he'd get his boots on, he'd take shots at me in the garden, you know. So, um, yeah, but yeah, he absolutely used to tear strips off me. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, I, I, can't, I can't remember if the, that game that 
we played was your last game, or whether you played one more after that? But, no, I certainly didn't end on that. Jesus, that was a late. Yeah, point. you did play what you played the following week. Yeah. The um, that obviously we talk. The three of us talk a lot as good friends and what have you. Um, talk to us about how you've dealt with. So since play, so you played probably what the first third of this year, maybe a little more. Um, just talk to people because obviously you're a long time retired. You want to play for as long as you can. How how is it? Um, how have you found not playing? Like, has that been has that been okay? And if you have struggled, is that because you missed the lads? I don't think you missed cricket, but you know what what emotions have you gone through since not playing on a Saturday? Firstly, the last my last game was. I mean, it sounds stupid. It's so emotional. Like this is a game that took me to the school that I went to. You know, as a fourteen year old, as a cricket scholar, it works of it. Took me to Australia as an 18-year-old to go and play over there. It got me to, you know, university. I played at Loughborough. You know, it, it, my best mates, are, are, you know, are through cricket, you know. And all of a sudden, you go, this thing that's governed your life, mm-hmm. driven your life. doesn't matter whether it's professional or club, whatever. But all of a sudden, this is the last time. Last time I'm going to put my pads on. Last time, you know. So, massively emotional to start with. Um, really difficult to start with. Just habit of waking up. The nerves are there. Don't know why, you know, but there was nowhere to go with them. Mm. Um, but then I think, you, you know, I, I mean, I'm really happy with my decision. I, you know, I don't, I miss the lads and I, you know, massively miss the lads. And one of the reasons, you know, I want to, you know, maybe get back involved in some capacity at PAP is, is you know, I really miss that, you know, that area of, co- that, you know, that camaraderie, that, you know, getting out in the week, just getting down to nets and, you know, having a bit of fun with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's weird to start with because it's just breaking habit. And it's just breaking those neural pathways that that built over so so long. You're like, well, you know. And I was, I was refreshing. I've refreshed play cricket more times this year than, than certainly anybody. Um, I've been known to watch it if we've not been out. I mean, I'm lucky that I've got busy social life. So you know, it's great that you can go and do all that stuff on a Saturday and get get about and go on holiday loads and all the rest of it. And that's really why I wanted to do it. But you know, I've been that badger sat there watching it on that crappy YouTube channel. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, but you know, it's it's breaking a habit, I think. Um, but no, you know, I'm happy with it now. I've had my go. You know, it's flown by. Time for somebody else to waste their Saturday afternoons <laughs> watching it rain away at Swaddling Coat, as Adam Betridge would say. Yeah, yeah. Are you Redford, talking about always raise at Ratford? You talk about your distractions. Obviously, Jack, who's a, a glorious, glorious little man, and obviously Vic, your wife, like that. You, you've got um, some amazing distractions, haven't you? I guess you, you say like Jack, what three now? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to them as distractions, John. I'd probably well, no, refer to them as cornerstones of my life. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Jack, sorry, Vic. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you're so settled within your family life. You obviously work incredibly hard. You've got your own business and stuff like. You've got enough to be concentrating on to take your mind off things, I guess. Like it must be, yeah, you holidays. Yeah, I, yes, I have, and, and I'm very lucky in that respect. And you know, we got to go away for like two and a half weeks last summer, and you know, with Jack in two and a half, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that before. Um, but it's a big part of your life to fill, and it's that you know, Jono, you go from being captain, you're fielding court, you're on your, you know, so if you're doing the recruitment and stuff during the winter, it's a twelve month job, yeah. and it's. And it's, you know, like a part-time job alongside what you're doing. And all of a sudden, WhatsApp, you're out of the WhatsApp groups. They stop pinging up. You're not ref- getting phone calls about this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, you do question yourself and kind of go, well, you know, it defines you a little bit, doesn't it? It's, it's natural to, when you've done something for 10 years and, you know, across the two clubs, a big part of who you are is, is a club cricket captain. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that's removed. And I think Simon spoke about this when he did his, his podcast about when he was, you know, a professional cricketer and trying to come out of that. You know, something that defines you all of a sudden gets removed. You you, you have to fill that with something. You know, mm. you have to. And, you know, one of the difficult things is trying to, you know, when you are slightly struggling with it, saying to your wife, look, you cannot be anymore. You and the family cannot be anymore because you always have been alongside cricket. Now I've just got this chunk of, that's a big part of me that needs filling with something. And, um, you know, what that is, whether it's crap golf, whether that's running, whether that's more business and, and trying to grow that, you, you've got to do something, I think. I hope it's golf. I think Simon hopes it's golf. I don't think golf hopes it's golf, to be honest with you. <laughs> Greenkeepers certainly don't. <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about, like, a lot of people don't 
they, they think you just jump straight into something else, don't they? They think you can just add the other parts of your life. So I can remember you once saying to me that you you were doing almost like 40 hours a week on captaincy on top of working 60 hours a week and then you've got your family and stuff. Um, probably not 40 hours a week. I, I'd probably say consistently. I guess if you've got two games in a week, you've got two training sessions and then all the stuff, then I guess, yeah. But consistently, like this time of year used to be the worst. Me and Blathers used to be on the phone or used to talk cricket two hours a day minimum. You yeah. know, between October and Christmas, you know, in terms of trying to get your players, your pros, or whatever. But so, yeah, I mean, it adds up. I, don't, I know we've spoken about this, John. I don't think people necessarily appreciate, like, you know, you make a decision and they spit the dummy because you told them to take a break or bat at eight or whatever. Well, they kind of rock up to training, rock up and play. You're the guy that's there doing all of this stuff. And, that, and you've said this before. I don't think necessarily players kind of, I think they'd have a different respect for their captain, whoever it was, if they realized how much you're going to bat yeah. for them or how much you think about it. Because it's not just a, well, you're not picked this week because I don't like you. That's not how it is. You know, you're trying to do your best. You're not always right, but you're trying to do your best. I think the thing that I, and we've certainly spoken about this before, Sam, like from from a, a captaincy point of view, I think it's difficult because you're trying to have to consider not only your kind of first choice 11, but also then the extended squad and what have you. But, what people fail to realise is they think that they've spoken to you about their issues once in the week. And what mm. they forget is that you've had 14 of the same phone calls because you have to have that phone call with every single member of the squad. And you, it's, it's so many balls you're trying to juggle in terms of trying to keep people happy. You know, why am I batting here rather than here? And, it's that, and, and the man management that it takes, I think, to try and maintain the, a healthy um, emotional state of a squad not over a season, but I think at times week to week is is an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah, and and I think yeah, you're you're hundred percent right. And I think if I'm being honest, one of the main reasons I gave up was I couldn't be asked with it at the end, and so I was becoming almost my way or the highway. And you know, and I look back and I think, well, yeah, there were probably things that I might have done differently. But you did like I did. I lost that pace. You know, the, the patience that you have to have. I, people might not have said I was patient, but you do have to be in certain elements. But yeah, you, you know, I think you after a period of time. You know, you've run your race, haven't you? But yeah, you're right. But you don't have to. You choose to do that. And sometimes you do it and it backfires in your face anyway. So you think, why the bloody hell do I bother trying to do that with that lad or whatever? But, you know, there we are. I think it's we'll really important that you, you've, you've obviously spoken about Michael a lot. Um, so that's Michael Blatherwick, um, obviously a brilliant player in his day, obviously still involved at, at Papawick as uh, one of the kind of cricket managers and what have you. Um, just talk to us about you know, as a, as a captain, how much has he helped you in that relationship? Because obviously he brought you into Kimberley, as you said, and then you both came to Pat and have achieved a hell of a lot there. Like, how good has he been for you? And, and it not, I mean, yes, you talk about Michael directly, but talking to other guys who are captains out there, just talk about the benefit of having someone as like an ear or a confidant or someone that you can really lean on and having that person in place to kind of really help you and the you know, because otherwise it can drown you, right? Yeah, I, I think actually from a tactical cricket standpoint, and I think Michael would agree with this, I, I probably didn't talk to him as much as he would have liked. And that was because all we did, and then I just did what I wanted to do. Michael used to laugh about that a lot. We'd talk about it and then I'd just do what I wanted to do anyway. Um, but you've got to, that's not always right. Sometimes, you know, sometimes he would say things that I would certainly take on. But I was very conscious with that because you have to be your own person and you have to make your own decision because you're the person that ultimately your ass is on the line for it. I think I think with regards to Michael, it's, it's everything else that we spoke about that he helped with. And he did help with the on-the-field technical stuff and he, and he you know, tactical stuff, sorry. And he did help with selection and planning and choosing our players and recruiting all the rest of it. But I think, yeah, that's really where you lean on on somebody like that is to help you with with all the other stuff to keep the whole club moving forwards, really. But, uh, and yeah, and I'm sure if you asked Michael, he would say, oh, he never listened to a word I said. I did. <laughs> I took it on board. But you, again, you make your own decisions. You know, I talk, to be honest, the person that I talk tactically to about it most is my dad because mm. there's nobody I respect more in terms of his opinion of the game than him. Mm. And, you know, even in my last season at captaincy, there are a couple of, couple of things that he said, you know, with regards to team selection and stuff, where I was set down one road and he, he, said, well, I 100% wouldn't do this. I've gone away, considered it, and I didn't do it. And I'm glad that I didn't. So, you know, I think, you know, 
you know, my dad was certainly somebody that that I like, you know, leaned on a lot with that. Because it's it's difficult with captaincy because if you win, everyone thinks you made the right decisions. Or if you lost, of course, it's easy with hindsight. Everyone says, "Oh, he could have done this, he should have done that." And you know, that's why I go back to making decisions based on cricket logic. Mm. Yes, there are definitely times where you fuck up and you would have done th- things differently. One hundred percent. You don't need somebody else to tell you that necessarily. But I think if you make decisions not based on gut but based on cricket logic in that moment with the data that you've got, then you can come off the field and go, "Well, no, I'll, yeah, okay, it didn't work, but no, I would do that again." Um, it's hindsight. It's easy to captain after the game. Like it's obvious after the game, isn't it? You know, um, it's not always obvious in the heat of battle, and you know, when you're out there, it's also easier sometimes from beyond the rope. You know, you can see the whole game. You know, if you're wicket keeping or if you stood at mid off or stood at slip, you're quite often in it. Where sometimes I, I've got a different perspective when I start walking around and watching from afar. Sometimes you see, I don't know, the bigger picture maybe slightly easier. But yeah. the as a first team captain, and I'm not I'm not specifically talking about Robin. I've been very lucky. I've got a very good relationship with Robin at Pap. I had a brilliant relationship with Nick Fox, my chairman, when I was first team skipper down in London. How important are a is it a to have a, a, a real good relationship with the chairman and a chairman who will kind of support the first team captain? But then also, you know, we've got a famous group of Muppets, haven't we, at, at Pap? Like and. Just talk about, and every group, every most, well, the majority of clubs. We're part of them now. Well, I guess we are. Yeah, yeah. How um, how important are those people for in terms of you know club life and you know helping to push the club forward? Yeah, massively. I think um, it sounds really corporate, but the way I always thought of it was: as a cricket club, you've got so many stakeholders, and if you're a first team captain or club captain, whatever you're called, you've got to try and keep those various different kind of stakeholders happy. And that's not necessarily you. That could be somebody else managing that relationship. But again, I think if you've got the right person around you, supporting you, they take a certain amount of respect or flack as well. I think one of the things that, you know, in times gone by, you know, Michael, sometimes I've been the villain, sometimes he's been the villain, you know, and he's probably done that kind of consciously, certainly early days at Kimberley, you know, when I was this, you know, nobody wanted me there. I, you know, one of the guys at the AGM, one of the Muppets, as we would call them at Kimberley, came up to me. Can I say the C word, Jono, on air or not? Are we, shall I beat that one out? Okay. Yeah, I'll beat that one out. All right. So he came up to me and went, well, it was the AGM and they're about to vote for the captaincy. And he went, well, I always thought you're an absolute, but I guess now you're with us, I better say good luck. You know, so, um, so yeah, look, everybody, um, matters at a cricket club and I think you know particularly those you know one of the things at Kimberley I always got the guys just go and have a beer with the old boys and you know there's, you don't you don't have to force that at Papawit too much but I know the older guys really appreciate that or appreciating being brought into you know conversations about cricket because they're important and you know if you it's like a football manager isn't it you want the fan base on your side it's so much easier if if they like you so you you know you do what you can to to try and get them on side with you I guess um, I guess the final thing for me before we thank our partners and sponsors, which we absolutely have to do, um, is I guess what what's next? What what's what's next for Sam Grzovich? Um, where are the, what's what's the five year plan in terms of cricket, but also kind of life and and whatever else? Cricket, I I don't know to be honest. I might get involved with Pat. Um, I've had a couple of chats with Robin and maybe get involved off the field there. But you know the emphasis has shifted now to um, you know to family, to life, and to I mean. <laughs> That's, that, that is one thing. You realise how much time... I, I mean, I don't mean to put people off cricket because obviously this is a cricket podcast made by cricketers for cricketers, but you, know, <laughs> you waste a lot of time, don't you, playing cricket. And, you know, when you think, well, hang on, if I could put 20% of that into my business to grow my business, you know, then that's that's obviously a huge part of it. Getting away on more holidays and seeing friends and getting out to London a bit more and all the rest of it, that's that. Um, but, yeah, the cricket is just... You know, there. If, if Pat want a bit of, of, you know, want to get involved in some capacity, then then I will do. Um, but it's down to, you know, I've had my go. It's down to other people to drive stuff now. I think. Lovely. Well, look, thank you. Look, we always wanted to get you on. I'm sorry it's been at such short notice, but um, for you know, Robbo and I have both played with Sam. Um, I really hope everybody who's listened to this and enjoyed it. He's he's been a brilliant captain, uh, a brilliant cricketer. So, yeah, Augie, thank you so, so much for, for joining us tonight. Thanks for having yeah. me, boys. Um, before we go, we must do our regular 
bits and pieces as we are contractually obliged. Uh, our partners are the Lord's Taverners, the wonderful, wonderful charity that they are. Um, please continue to text 60331, that's to donate £3 uh, to the amazing work that they do, helping disadvantaged and disabled cricketers uh, afford them a sporting chance. Please make sure that you have the bill pays permission and are over 16 years old before you do. Also, thanks, uh, as always, to Big Smoke Brewery uh, and Woodstock Cricket for their continued support. It's Robbo showing his empty Big Smoke Brewery glass. Um, but yeah, um, brilliant. Jonathan, sorry, John, to interrupt you there. Robbo, do you always ask the bill payers permission? <laughs> what you're currently retorting to is a story from when I was quite a younger lad. Um, and no, I didn't on that occasion. But anyone who's responsible for being underage of a certain time should definitely 100% make sure they have the bill payers permission or face the wrath of whoever the bill payer might be. I really need to hear this story off air. Uh, but for now, from slugging it, thanks to Sam, thanks to Robbo, uh, thanks to you for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, on. Cheers, guys.